following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Good evening, everybody. All right, wonderful worship, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, tonight, we are going to explore a theme, um, kind of trace it through as a part of, of my studies um, on my own time, doing studies through the Bible Project and, and things like that. It's, it's really illuminating for me, and I hope it is for you guys, too, to see these. And, and one thing that I love about studying in here, too, is just trying to, trying to look at how this book points to Jesus and how Jesus embodies the words from these pages. And that's another thing that we're going to do tonight. So the, the theme tonight is actually sanctuary. So when you guys hear the word sanctuary, what comes to mind? Safe place? What else? What? Peaceful wildlife refuge. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a refuge. Yep, absolutely. So the the uh, Webster's Dictionary would define it like that. It's a place of safety, security, and often used for like a natural preserve somewhere. What else is sometimes referred to as a sanctuary? Yeah, the church. So why why do we call it that? You guys ever pondered, like, why is the part, and it's not even like all of the church, right? It's just a certain designated area in the church is called the sanctuary. Why, why does that? Place you go to worship God. Okay, so worship is a big part of it. What else? All right, yes, I like it. Anything else? God's word rests there, okay. Nice. Man, this is gold star class tonight. You guys are awesome. <laughs> so what I want to do is just look throughout scripture and how this theme of sanctuary goes from beginning to end, and we'll look at how Jesus embodies that. I would venture to make this statement. I'm going to make the statement that this idea of sanctuary is one of the most important themes in God's word. I'm not going to say the most important because that, that would be hard to, to say, but it is up there, right? When we think about themes throughout the Bible, we think of salvation, redemption, grace, love, truth, all of these things, right? But in the midst of all of that is this idea of sanctuary, and the word appears a lot, throughout the Bible. Sometimes it appears referencing a place, and sometimes it doesn't. So we're going to start at the beginning, not the very, very beginning, but we're going to start in Genesis. If you guys want to go to Genesis chapter 2, And I'm going to start in verse 7. And let's see how this narrative of sanctuary plays out. All right, so verses 7 and 8 
just to kind of lay the groundwork really quick, God has been at work creating, right? Chapter one, it talks a lot about creation, and then it comes back to it in chapter two, and it almost seems like it's being told in a different order sometimes, but what is happening here is everything's been created except for man, except for humanity. So when we jump in here at verse seven, it says, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then it goes on and it describes Eden from there. And then to, to cap it off here, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So based on this passage, was humanity created in the garden? No. No. Adam or humanity was created outside the garden from the dust. And God took him and put him in the garden that he had prepared. So when we look at this idea of a sanctuary, in the, in the biblical concept of sanctuary, it is a holy and sacred place where you meet with God. That is a sanctuary in biblical terms. Holy being set apart. It is a special place where you and God meet. Here God has created Adam outside of Eden and brings him in to be with him. Right, the rest of chapter two goes on to talk about here's what Adam is commissioned to do. Right, and I'm not gonna read all of it. You guys can go, go through that as well. But it is this idea of a sanctuary. Eden is a sanctuary in the truest sense. It's beautiful, it's amazing. There's no sin there yet, right? The tree of life is there. God is there. And as the Bible talks about, God walked with Adam there. That is a sanctuary. Eden was the original sanctuary. And this idea is going to set the stage for what God has intended for humanity all along. That is that he wants us to be with him. That's reassuring, right? From the beginning, the very first thing he does when he creates humanity is he brings them in. And that's amazing. That's, that's something that is always encouraging for me. And I hope it's encouraging for you that God wants to be with you. The rest of the narrative of this, this Bible is going to talk about how God continues that. As we know that humanity screws everything up. They get exiled from Eden and they're not allowed to enter, right? God sets up cherubim with these flaming swords like, you're not coming back into this sanctuary. But he doesn't close the book, does he? No, he goes outside the sanctuary and he's gonna start setting up sanctuaries outside of Eden until he can reestablish Eden, which we know is still to come, right? We know the Eden to come. Um, but he's gonna continue to meet and, and meet with people. We know that he's gonna talk with um, or meet with Cain and Abel. They're gonna be giving sacrifices there and by all intents and purposes, we, we can um, assume that they are doing it right outside the garden, right? That they've been booted out of, that they're still giving these 
um, sacrifices to God there. And, and God meets with him. God meets with Cain. And we see this continuing throughout Scripture. He's going to meet with um, Abraham. He's going to meet with Isaac. He's going to meet with Jacob. He meets with, with Noah. He is showing humanity that even though you screwed up, I want to meet with you. I'm not going to abandon you. And you don't have to be perfect for me to speak to you. He, kill, he, he talks to Cain right after he killed his brother, right? So he's going to meet with imperfect people because that's everybody. And um, he, he's going to show that desire that he wants us to be in his presence. The book of Genesis is filled with that. Let's go ahead and jump over to Exodus now. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 3. And this is going to be um, another time when we see God establishing a sanctuary. And it's not a traditional sanctuary, right? The Garden of Eden probably um, wasn't what a lot of people would think of in terms of a sanctuary. This one definitely won't be what a lot of people think of in terms of a sanctuary. Let's check out chapter 3, verses um, 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Then the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are stand, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And like I said, this probably doesn't seem like a sanctuary, and this is smaller scale than the Garden of Eden. But what, what does God describe this area? It's holy ground, and who's there? God, that's the sanctuary, holy ground where God is, and God is meeting with Moses. This burning bush is a sanctuary. This is God coming to meet with humanity and establish an area where this is going to be, and it's on the mountain of God, and God's going to be meeting with them again here, right? He's going to continue to meet, and later in the story, he's not going to appear to him in a burning Bush, he's going to come down in like the worst thunderstorm you could imagine on top of this mountain, right? And show a little bit more of his glory and splendor and freak everybody out that's a part of the nation of Israel. And, um, but, it, but still, he's establishing here on the mountain of God a sanctuary. And it's more of a physical representation, right? He's already been meeting with people and talking with people, but now he's like, here, I'm setting up holy ground, and I want to meet with you. And as we've talked about before, Moses probably does not even know who God is. God has to reacquaint Moses with who he is. And, and Moses just has no clue. He continues to ask questions. Like, there's no doubt he probably wasn't raised knowing who God was. But God comes to him, establishes a sanctuary, meets with him, and then commissions him 
to be a part of something again. It's going back to the garden, right? Taking humanity, planting them in the garden. It's like, I've got a bigger purpose for you to steward this creation of mine. And he's meeting with Moses here and doing the same thing. I want you to go on a mission to rescue my people out of, Israel, or out of Egypt and bring them back to me. You fast forward now through Exodus to Exodus 25. And this is post-plagues, post-Red Sea. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. So the law has been given. The covenant has been established. Uh, God has talked about Canaan. Is, we're going to go into Canaan. We're going to go into the promised land. Here's what what is coming, and after all of that now, God is going to say this, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. God's going a step further, right? What is the purpose of this tabernacle, this sanctuary? Why does God want them to build it? Yeah, he wants to go with them, right? And of course, God's everywhere, right? He is everywhere. But this is going to be that physical representation. It talks about the glory of God descending upon the tabernacle, um, and people, only certain people are allowed to go in, and all of, all of these different requirements. But here, this is pretty clear evidence that God is wanting to be in their midst. And has Israel already screwed up big time at this point? Yeah, gold, golden calf, right? Come on now, golden calf. But no, he still wants to be in their midst. Have you screwed up before tonight? <laughs> he still wants to be in your midst though, doesn't he? Isn't that amazing that God still wants to establish a sanctuary with you and be with you and be with me even though we have messed up over and over again. The word here for sanctuary is mikdash, meaning a sacred and holy place where God's presence is. It's, it's where we get the biblical definition of what a sanctuary is. And God obviously wants Israel to see him in their presence, moving with them wherever they go. And this would be the representation of a sanctuary all the way up until the time of David, right? And, and David would sing about the sanctuary. That's one of, the, one of my favorite parts about a lot of the psalms that, that David composed where it was his love to see his love for being in the presence of God, right? And we saw what happened when David wasn't in the presence of God. We see what happens when you and me are not in the presence of God of God, right? And for us, I want us to just to have that same heart, right? And it says that he was a man after God's own heart because, not because he was perfect, but because he had a heart to be in the presence of the Lord. He sought after the sanctuary. And I want to read an example for you. This is in Psalm 63. And I'm going to read most of the psalm. 
But as I'm reading this, I just want you guys to pause and reflect. I've had opportunity to do this as I was reading it. It's like extremely convicting for me. But I'd like you guys to just pause and reflect as I'm reading through this and, and just be thinking like, God, is that my heart right now? Is that the longing of my heart? Here we go. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And I know I have... I have to check myself, and maybe it would be good for me to wake up every morning and read this and have a little heart check and be like, yes, God, make it, make it so. Make that the desire of my heart to be with you and want you more than anything in the world. You know, the tabernacle would be later replaced with the temple by David's son, right? King Solomon would build the temple, and David wanted to. David had a heart for this. I want to build you a temple, Lord, but God said, no, you have too much blood on your hands, but your son after you will build it for me. And if you guys get a chance, go back and read through Solomon's prayer as he's dedicating the temple. I'm going to pick up after that um, back in Second Chronicles. It also appears in Kings, but all of Second Chronicles chapter 6 is this Really amazing prayer and dedication that Solomon gives as this temple has been completed. And then when it's done, when he's done praying, oh my goodness, one of the most amazing things happens. Check this out. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Man, that is so amazing. So amazing. And that also, when we enter into the presence of God, which we get, when's the last time this is the way you entered into his presence? When's the last time during your, your morning devotions or evening devotions or your quiet time or your prayer time, you fell flat on your face in awe, in praise, in worship, just blown away by the majesty of God? We need to up our game, right? We need to up our worship. 
We need to up our praise. We need to up our awe of, of, of the splendor and the majesty and the glory of God. And as amazing as this is, this isn't the end of the show, is it? This is just a small glimpse of the sanctuary to come. And that sanctuary has a name. And his name is Jesus. And it was prophesied. Isaiah talked about it. Let's look at this in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. Do we even understand the implication of that? One of the songs that always brings conviction to my, my heart is the one that's, um, What Do I Know of Holy? That's the name of it, right? What Do I Know of Holy? What do we know of holy? What do we know of being in the presence of God? How little do we actually conceive of it? Because God comes down. He came down, and he came down in a very real way in the person of Jesus. A couple chapters later, Isaiah says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is saying it, God's coming. Right? He's coming. Yeah, this tabernacle, this temple is awesome, but God's coming. Right? This is just but a shadow of what is to come. Let's fast forward to Luke now. Let's check out God's sanctuary and his arrival. So Mary is having this probably what felt like an out-of-body experience talking with an angel and being told that she is going to conceive and have a child and that and the angel answered her in verse 35 of chapter 1 of Luke and said the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god the word here is hagios for holy which is the mo it means the most holy thing what is the most holy thing it's god right there is nothing more holy than god and here, the angel is saying, you're, you're going to give birth to, to the most holy thing. Can you imagine that? If there's ever a time to faint when you're hearing something, that was probably it. I could not even imagine hearing that. And then you, you see here the Son of God. Of God being Theos, or it is saying deity. This is making the claim that you're getting the most holy thing as a flesh representation of God. That is what that statement means. It is not saying that you're just getting a human boy, right, who's going to do some good things. It is the most holy thing in flesh form 
who is, who is God, who is a deity. That is what that statement means in the literal Greek translation. So God's coming. He's meeting the most holy thing, a sanctuary, right? Jesus is the sanctuary of all sanctuaries. He is God in our midst. He is Emmanuel. A lot of scripture talks about this. Colossians 1 verse 19 says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. What descended upon the tabernacle? God's glory, right? What descended upon the temple? God's glory. The fullness of that, the fullness of that was in Jesus. Wrap your minds around that. They saw just a little bit of the glory of God and they couldn't even go into the temple. They saw a little taste of the glory of God and they were freaked out and didn't go up the mountain. The fullness of the glory of God was wrapped up inside of Jesus. In John chapter one, it talks about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. And later in John chapter 10, Jesus makes the statement, that he and God are one. This is not a son making a statement about a father. Reese cannot say to somebody, me and my dad are one. We're not. We have similarities, a lot of them. We look pretty similar, right? Feel bad for Reese on that one. But he and I are not one. We are not exact imprints. Jesus and God are one in the truest sense. And that is so hard for a lot of people to understand. It's been hard for me to wrap my mind around as well. Back in Colossians in chapter 2, it says, The fullness of the deity of God dwelled within him and all authority. Not some of it. It's not like God has some, Jesus has some. All authority was in Jesus. Because Jesus is the sanctuary where God was dwelling in human form right? That's powerful stuff. That is powerful stuff. It helps us look at who Jesus is in a whole new, maybe not a whole new, but at least in a bigger splendor than what we probably most often look at him in. So wherever Jesus goes, God is. He is that ultimate sanctuary, and his ministry demonstrated that. Some other words of Jesus. John 14, 6, I'm sure you guys know it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Because the Father dwelt inside of him, because he was the sanctuary. He is the gateway, just like, but in a much greater scale, like the tabernacle was the way people would get to meet with God. The temple was the way people would get to meet with God. Jesus is the way that people get to meet with God. Without Jesus, you don't get God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. So let's, let's look at some words of Jesus. The first song that we, we sang tonight made me think of this verse that, that we were going to be looking at, or these, these verses tonight. 
that we're going to be looking at. Matthew 11, a lot of you guys probably know this, verses 28 through 30. It's a beautiful, beautiful invitation that Jesus gives. And I've had to read it and meditate on it quite a bit. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in Jesus, in the sanctuary that is Jesus, we find rest. And I'm not talking about physical rest, right? That would be like coming to church and going up there and laying on the couch and just taking a nap and ignoring everything else that was going. You don't come here to take a nap. We come here for a deeper rest, the rest of our souls, a peace, a confidence, an assurance that no matter what's going on around us, we can have that calm, we can have that steady because we know who we are and whose we are. And not only that, by coming to the sanctuary, by coming to Jesus, we learn from him. We place that yoke on our shoulders and he drives us as the yoke of oxen would be driven. He steers our life. And guys, if we aren't growing more in our understanding of who God is and what his call is on our lives, if we are burdened and bogged down and in turmoil within, maybe it's time to go back to the sanctuary and spend some time with the source of life and to heed his invitation to come and to find rest and to learn from him. In John 15, he's going to give a, an illustration that I really enjoy and something that I, I keep in my mind too, like when I'm not maybe feeling the best, thinking the best, whatever, like, okay, I'm a little disconnected from the vine here. I say it to my wife sometimes, like, sorry, I'm, I just get, need, I need to get reconnected with the vine. In verses four through six, he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you cannot do, you can do nothing. For if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And how often have you felt like a withering branch? Time to get reconnected. You know, taking a trip to the sanctuary, looking at Jesus as the sanctuary, it's not like just a visit here and there, right? It's not a Saturday evening trip into to Junction or whatever. It is not um, a now and again then. Going to, the, going to the sanctuary is establishing a relationship, a connection, that produces changes and goodness within us. It is this symbiotic relationship where you are so connected that it is influencing you 
and everything that you do, everything that you, every way that you think, every way that you speak, and you can't go anywhere to get away from it. It is clung to you. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, this sanctuary is something that we are meant to take everywhere we go. Because you see the invitation here, abide in me and I in you. The sanctuary is in your heart, right? It's living within you. And I know that is, it's like, no, <laughs> not feeling that, right? I am not feeling the glory of God living inside of me, motivating me, um, working and, and, and steering my life. It's like, but God said it. You connect with him, you come to him, and he is going to abide in you. That same spirit, that same glory is going inside of you to shape you and motivate you and transform you. And what will be left at the end of that is not you. It will be Jesus shining through you and me. Jesus also set a pattern throughout his ministry of what it looks like to enter into the sanctuary. So many times in here it says how Jesus left to pray, right? He went out in solitude to meet with, with God in prayer. And, and sometimes all night long he would do that. After he sent the disciples out and they did all these amazing things and they come back and they're telling Jesus their list of accomplishments and he's like, hit the brakes. Come with me out to a desolate place so you can find rest. Not to take away from all those cool things, right? The amazing, powerful ways that the Holy Spirit was moving, but he's like, no, urch, come with me to a desolate place and find rest because we need that. We need that separation. We need the solitude. We need to be entering in the sanctuary with our God on a regular basis to be refreshed, to be reminded, to be rejuvenated. And if we're not having time for that in our lives, it's time to reshuffle some priorities. Because a lot of the times that Jesus left, it was like ministry highs, right? Like here comes a huge crowd to hear you speak. I'm going to go away by myself. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read a few verses here from Hebrews chapter 10, starting picking up verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So not only is Jesus the sanctuary of God, but his life, 
his death and his resurrection granted us a permanent access. A permanent access into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. You don't have to be here. I'm glad you're here, right? But you don't have to be here to meet with God. You can be out on a job site. You can be driving in your car. You can be laying in your bed. You can be taking a shower. You can be feeding the kids. You can be feeding animals out there, whatever. We have permanent access because of who Jesus is. We don't deserve it. But because of who Jesus is, tore that curtain to shreds, opened up the door, free access, but we have to do something first. Jesus paid for the atonement. The atonement has been covered. All throughout Scripture, the sanctuary, um, the tabernacle, the temple, all those were used as places for atonement, right? But out front, you had this, this altar, sacrifices were made, then the bronze laver, and then you would enter in. The priests had to do it before they could enter in. Sacrifice is a huge part of entering into the presence of God. No longer do we have to sacrifice to be forgiven, but we do need to sacrifice to enter his presence, ladies and gentlemen. We have to lay our pride, our selfishness at the foot at the feet of Jesus, at the entrance of the tabernacle, at the entrance of the sanctuary, and fall on our faces like that sinner did. And he's like, wouldn't even lift up his eyes. He said, I am not even worthy to look at you. And Jesus welcomes us with open arms. We have to be that prodigal son that is coming back and like, I'm not making excuses. I am just hoping to be a servant in my father's house, running at you with open arms. We got to lay down those excuses. We got to lay down our selfishness, our own priorities. And even though we have this permanent access into the presence of God, may we never forget the great price that was paid to earn that. David Platt has this really amazing quote that I, I got when I was reading through one of his books, and I've, I've written it down. I've kept it with me and read over it several times. He says, As Christ begins to live in us, everything about us begins to change. Our minds change, our desires change, our wills change, our relationships change. Ultimately, our reason for living changes. Possessions and position are no longer our priorities. Comfort and security are no longer our concerns. Safety is no longer our goal because self is no longer our God. We now want God's glory more than we want our very own lives. Doesn't that seem to be in line with the whole purpose for creating humanity in the first place? For us to want and desire to be in his presence, to enter into the sanctuary with him more than life itself. And God wants us. God wants you. And maybe you don't feel worthy. It doesn't change the fact that he wants you. 
Maybe you have experienced a lot of rejection in your life. God won't ever reject you. God wants you. Maybe you don't feel very loved. God loves you. He wants you to be in his presence. He wants you to receive healing for the brokenness that is inside you. He wants us to be transformed and to be made new. He wants us to win the war against sin. He wants each and every one of us to live out that purpose that he put in our hearts, that he laid at the foundations of the earth as stewards, sharing in his love and sharing his love and truth and goodness with the world around us. He wants us to know our place. He wants us to know our identity as his children. The key is now that we have to want that more than our own lives, more than those things that we want or the relationship goals or the um, career goals or the vacation goals or the retirement goals. We have to want him more than anything because he wants us. And because in laying down our lives, and this is what I just want to leave everybody with tonight and what I am pondering um, and have been in preparation for, for coming here tonight. Guys, in laying down our lives at the feet of Jesus, at the entrance of the sanctuary, that is when we fully experience life. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will